Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Omaha-born and New York City jazz guitarist Dave Stryker. He opened up about his third CD in a trilogy called 2019's 8-Track 3. He grew up in Omaha and moved to New York in 1980. After establishing himself in the local scene, he joined organist Jack McDuff's group for two years from 84 to 85. After leaving Jack, he went to Stanley Turrentine and joined his quintet. And from 1986 to 95, he played with the legendary saxophonist, and after 10 years of playing along with the tenor legend, it helped him realize the importance of having his own sound. And he's been working on that very busy career ever since. So get to know Dave and dig this interview, my friends. So, Dave, hey, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today, man. I appreciate it. No problem. So, let's go ahead and dive into 8-Track 3, your latest 2019 CD. Talk to me about what your artistic vision for this process and project was. This is a project I started, uh, I think, it was six, about six years ago. I did a, I had an idea of, uh, well, you know, even since growing up in Omaha, when I first started playing jazz, playing a pop tune on a gig was nothing, uh, was, was common. The guys that taught me how to, you know, took me under their wing, back at that time they would play, you know, a tune like Never Can Say Goodbye or Call Me or, you know, one of these kind of tunes, You Are the Sunshine of My Life and Jazz them up. And then when I, when I, after I moved to New York and got with Jack McDuff and Stanley Turrentine for all those years, you know, they did the same thing. You know, they would throw in a tune like that. And it's a good way to connect to the listeners when they hear a melody they recognize, you know, done in a different way. They they dig that. So, you know, and it's a way of, of bringing more people into the music. So what I would do, the same kind of thing years ago, I would throw in a tune like that on the set, and then I started saying, well, that's going to be on my next record. Dave Stryker plays the hit to the 8-track, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> Except then people started coming up to me going, hey, when's that 8-track record coming out? I'm going to buy that. <laughs> so it was like, okay, maybe I should do this. And so now we have a volume three, and it's been a, a fun ongoing project for me in that, uh, you know, picking tunes, finding tunes that that I think I can, you know, put my own spin on and uh, do our thing to. And, and uh, people seem to like it, and... And we certainly do, so it's been a fun, fun thing. So let's go back to Omaha. Let's talk about your childhood growing up in Omaha and how you got involved with jazz. Give me kind of an idea. I started out playing, uh, I had an older sister who had all the Beatles records, and so early on I, I wanted to be a guitar player and uh, started taking lessons like when I was 10. And By the time I was 12, I was playing in, in rock bands, got pretty good at, you know, rock guitar and went to a jam session at the local union and they were playing a song for my father by Horace Silver and I got up there and sat in and just started playing my rock licks and one of the guys came up to me and said hey you can't be playing all those rock licks this is jazz I'm like wait what so I I you know that's what I didn't even know what what jazz was I went to the record store I said I gotta buy a couple jazz records and I went in the back and I somehow I walked out with a Stream my favorite things and the George Benson records. So I just got hooked. And started uh, started uh, you know listening to the records. That's how I learned how to play, and that's how you know most of the, the greats really learn just from listening. And um, 
then my friends and I started playing, you know, Lord and Tunes and local, like I said, a local sax player took me under his wing and I started playing with him. He showed me standards and and just uh, started, just got hooked listening to Wes Montgomery and George Benson, all the greats. Just talk to me about that move, you know, from your Midwestern roots in, in Omaha to New York City in 1980. What was that move like for you? And how did things start in New York for you as far as getting into the scene? Well, actually, I uh, from from Omaha, I moved out to L.A. for a couple of years in around 78 because there was a local, uh, there was a guy from Omaha named Billy Rogers who was, uh, he spent some time in Kansas City, too. Uh, one of the great, great guitar players that most people have never heard of, but uh, he was an incredible guitar player uh, to play like George Benson at a young age. And, and so he was, I went out, to, he was out there, I wanted to be around him and another guy from Omaha named John Maller, uh, another great organ player, piano player. And so I knew them, so that's why I went out to L.A. And I, uh, you know, hung out there a bit and... Uh, Jimmy Smith used to have a club there called Jimmy Smith's Supper Club. And uh, every Monday was a jam session. I would go to that. And that's where I met a bunch of people. I met Jack McDuff there, and he said, if you come to New York, look me up. So when I decided to – I came to visit a friend of mine, Jorge Nila, that had moved to New York when I moved to L.A. We had played in the same bands. And uh, I was going to stay two weeks in New York, and I stayed four months. <laughs> Because I realized that New York was where it was at, you know. I was, like, going out every night and hearing George Coleman and all these great players and Jim Hall, Ron Carter. Went up to Harlem, like Jack was up then. Ended up playing with Jack for two years. And we, when we weren't on the road, we had a steady four-night-a-week gig at a place called Dude's Lounge in Harlem. And a lot of guys would fall by there, Lonnie Smith, Jimmy Smith. George Benson, Stanley Turrentine, Lou Donaldson. So once I left uh, Jack, uh, Stanley asked me to join his band, and I stayed with Stanley for about 10 years. Respectively, what did you learn from both Stanley and Jack? First of all, Jack, that was, you know, early on when you got to New York, and then later on, what did you learn from Stanley? Yeah. Well, the thing with Jack, you know, when I, as a guitar player, when I got in the band, he'd had uh, Grant Green, George Benson, Pat Martino. So when I got in the band, he finally got a good guitar player, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can imagine the uh, a little bit of pressure there from, uh, you know, getting that gig. But the fact is, you know, if you got the gig, you deserve it, and then you got to just take care of business. So I learned a lot, you know. I learned about playing with... Uh, with a good a good pocket, a good feel, playing with soulfully, playing strong, you know, to follow guys like like Jack when they take a solo or you know, you you got a deal. So you had to step up to the plate. Just I learned that and I learned you know, you learn that, you learn also things not to do. And uh um it's just it was a great learning experience I you know, even though it was a lot of dudes at the time traveling around in a van all over the country and getting screamed at by Jack a lot, um, it was a, it was a really really great experience. And Stanley was uh, the same kind of thing. You know, uh, a guy you can tell in two notes. You know, somebody who played with you know played with heart, played with 
soulfulness in their playing that uh, that spoke to people, and people would come out to the gigs, and he had fans, and he had hits, and and he you know knew how to put on a show and have an audience into it with him and go home happy. And these were all invaluable lessons to learn, you know, that hopefully I've been able to absorb and try to put into my own music. But, you know, a guy like Stanley, two notes, you know who it is. Same with, you know, all the greats. Kenny Burrell, George Benson, Grant Green, Miles. They all have a sound, and that's something we all strive for. So those are some of the things that I I took away from those gigs. So how long do you think it took for you to really find your true voice on your instrument? Did you did it happen early on? Did it evolve over time? When did that happen for you? Uh, definitely, it's an ongoing, ongoing thing. Uh, you you know when you start out, you're listening to your heroes and emulating, and eventually, uh, some of your own stuff starts to to uh, to come through because it has to. Everybody is unique, you know. Everybody, every person is a, is a is a unique being, and whether you're you play music or you do any kind of creative uh, thing, whether it be a painter or a writer, actor, anything, you're 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 unique in your own way. So it just sometimes takes uh, you know years of of playing. In my case, lots of gigs and. Um, you know, I started writing music early on, and and uh, that's another part of you know your voice. But uh, yeah, I feel like it. Um, it was starting to my you know I I was starting to find my voice uh, and have my own sound. <laughs> I guess after about twenty years, I guess I don't know. Uh, but I feel like uh, you know once I started recording, in other words, I started recording. Uh, first record was in 1988, and I felt like I had something to say at that point, and kind of had my own sound, and and I've uh, just kept building on that. So you've had kind of a direct connection to someone that came from Kansas City with Kevin Mahogany, and I just kind of want to know what 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 did you what was that partnership like? What was it like to work with him? It was wonderful, Joe. I mean. Did you know Kevin? Yeah, I did not. Unfortunately, I was actually close to interviewing him, and I never got a chance to. He was uh, the nicest guy, uh, big heart, uh, never, you know, just just uh, a sweetheart. I, I don't know how else to put it. And, you know, one of the best singers, I think, ever, you know, especially at his, at doing a blues or doing a standard, he had this the most gorgeous instrument. And uh, I was lucky to, he called me up right after I left Stanley, and, and he had just got his record deal with Warner Brothers, so I helped uh, co-produce his his records uh, on Warner Brothers, and arranged, started being his arranger, and we went all over the world playing music, and uh, great friends. He just called me out of the blue. He, uh, he had heard me with Stanley, but he also knew we had a connection in the Midwest. We were about the same age, and... I miss him every day. I just heard him on the radio the last couple of days, and beautiful cat, man. He's uh, his wife had passed a few months before him, and that really took the wind out of his sail. I actually played a 
a gig with him a few weeks before he passed, and we sat in the diner talking about old times and what we were going to do in the future. And so it was a, kind of a shock when he left. But he uh, was a big guy and had health issues with his weight and everything and and uh, caught up with him. Yeah, beautiful cat. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I've ever heard. So you've been at this game for a long time. Countless recordings, countless compositions. You've been all over the world. How do you feel about where you're at as a musician and where you're at with your life and what you've seen so far? I've been lucky. I mean, as musicians, uh, there's a lot of dues to be paid. And early on, you wonder if you're ever going to catch a break. And then you realize, you know, you're just lucky to be doing something you love and playing music. And, you know, a lot of times you have to do... Uh, maybe do jobs you wouldn't want to do, even non-musical jobs. You know, you do what you got to do to survive. Uh, and sometimes you get, you know, the chips fall and you get a nice opportunity and you try to make the mess, best of it. Um, and uh, I've got to see places all over the world that um, I would have never got to see. So many countries I've gone to and all over the states, everywhere, uh, because of music. And and met a lot of great people, and, and I think I've brought some joy to a lot of people with my music. And so I think it's, uh, even though there's a lot of, you know, what we call paying dues and, and disappointments, and, you know, you just have to kind of, I have a lot of gratitude for, for uh, you know, having, having this opportunity to, to play music and play with such great people. And, um, and you know, try to keep that in mind when I'm, uh, if I get down about, you know, you know, it's a tough business because you always think, well, why, you know, why has so-and-so got this and I don't have that, you know, <laughs> but that's yeah. just human nature, but you can't do that. You have to just be, to be the best you you can be and, uh, keep striving, striving ahead. So you, you've clearly dedicated your life to jazz. You love it. And I want to know this. Why do you love jazz? The only music where improv improvisation is such a huge part of it. We learn the standard tunes, and we learn the harmony and the chord structure, and then we're free to, to compose on the spot, which is improvisation. And being inspired by all the great, you know, the, all the records I listened to coming up, all the Blue Note, all the Coltrane, all the Miles, Sonny Rollins, all the McCoy Tyner, Herbie, you know, just totally inspired by it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I just feel like with, with, when you're, when you're improvising, you certainly, you know, have certain, you know, you're speaking a certain language. So you're going to have certain phrases and sentences you say, but you're trying to strive every time to maybe tell a little bit different story and you never know what will happen. Sometimes it's, uh, your story's got to, it's a great story. Other times, it's okay story. The more you play, it's, you know, the okay, you know, becomes a pretty good. <laughs> That's why. And also, it just feels good. I mean, you know, I like to pat my foot and bob my head to music. And when they're when when Jimmy Cobb and Paul Chambers are locking into some quarter notes, I just love the feeling. So. The one thing that's very, I mean, as, as an educator, you can respect this, that, you know, there's a lot of things that educate us musically, and one of the things 
that's huge is like the live shows we see. What's one of the first live jazz shows you witnessed that really blew you away? I remember a couple. I remember Kenny Burrell coming to the University of Nebraska at Omaha uh, when I was a kid. And I remember uh, when I was in high school, the the little jazz festival came through town with Clark Terry, his group, and um, Jerry Mulligan's group, and Gary uh, Burton's group, who had a young Pat Matheny from Lee Summit, Missouri, on guitar, who was about, I think he's about three or four years older than me, and he was already playing amazing. And uh, so I got to meet him at that early age, and we've, we've remained friends. Um, and, uh, you know, he's doing okay. You know, I'm glad to see that his career is doing okay. <laughs> you know, I, I said, hey, man, can I get a lesson? And he said, sure. So I went to the roadway in Omaha and took a lesson with Pat Matheny when I was 16 and he was 19. And he's like, man, I got this new, my best friend. Wait till you hear him. He's a really good bass player. His name's Jocko. And he says, uh, here's a tune that I just wrote. It's going to be on my next record. And he played me. Omaha Celebration, which is on Bright Side of Life, started playing me all the tunes on that record, and about a year later, that record came out, and then we know what happened after that. Yeah. And then I, I came down to to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, a year later, to see Gary Burton, right as Pat was about getting ready to leave, and I'll never forget, because uh, I'm standing kind of over in the corner, and you know, everybody's gathered around Pat after the show, talking to him, and he sees me in the corner, and he looks over, he goes, Hey, Dave, what's up? So, you know, as a young guitar player, to to have somebody like Pat all of a sudden rec- recognize you and know your name, man, it was just, meant a lot, you know. That's the way he is. He's a beautiful cat. And uh, so that was a great experience, yeah. Yeah, right on. So... My final question to you is this. Everyone has a perception or their version of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your students, your fans, but you know who you are best. Tell me, who do you think you are? That's a hard one. I'm, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm just in the uh, happy to be, be one, of the, one of the musicians that, that gets to play and record and, and you know, pick up an instrument every day and try to make some sounds on it, and uh, some people seem to enjoy it, and I I feel blessed from that, and uh, I've been able to make a living, you know, from doing this all these years, and uh, also started getting into teaching, as you mentioned, you know, the last few years. I've been at Indiana University. This will be my seventh year coming up. I commute out there from New Jersey. I teach at Montclair State here. Um, so I've done a lot of teaching, and I'm happy to pass it on, you know, like it was passed on to me. So all those things are a part of who I am. Uh, I try to be a nice person. I try to help others out. I try to help the young cats coming up, and I try to just be a good person. And um, I guess that's it. Right on. Perfect. Dave, thank you for opening up about the latest album. Good luck with it. Thank you for all the music, man. I appreciate it. Well, I sure appreciate you, uh, the support of, you know, you and all the radio stations, and I appreciate you spinning it, and I hope you guys are digging it there, and I hope to see you in Kansas City one of these days soon. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview. 
where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Omaha, Kansas City, New York City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Dave for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.